What's what? What? Oh my god! <laughs> my intro song. It's for some reason it's not playing. No, for real. Hey guys, Harmony here. I just wanted to let you guys know that the reason the audio you usually hear isn't playing right now, well, it's a very good one. This episode, because I did not release an episode last week, is one of my more heavily researched and one of my longer ones. You will hear excerpts from the family and the victims alike. You will hear real audio from those who knew all of who we were talking about. And I wanted to allow the Hart children, the victims of this heinous crime that I will be sharing with you today, to introduce themselves. I ask you to stick around and listen to one of my most heavily worked on, researched, and edited and put together for your enjoyment episodes. All right, friends, here are the hearts. This is a place where all relations bring celebration to meditation. Giving wings for all creation. We are so provided for. 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 They were a flock, if you would, because there were so many of them. And they were giggling and laughing, and I remember commenting to Amanda, like, wow, those kids are so beautiful, you know, like, who are their parents? Yeah, their and smiles were just infectious, you know, it just, like, lit up the entire room. So without even knowing their names, you just wanted to meet them. Couldn't miss them, just because it was an entourage, you know, and they would always roll together as an entourage. You have no idea what those two women went through. You don't live their life, and I think a lot of people are having trouble because they were made of so much light, also accepting the fact that there was a lot of turmoil in the family and a lot of suffering and a lot of tragedy that they had to get over. Most of the social interactions uh, these two women had with uh, outside people were uh, either online or ways that you can, you can perfectly curate a temporary image of perfection. I know, I know, I didn't release an episode last week, and for that, I am truly sorry. But we're not gonna dwell on that, because you and I are here right now. And you know what that means, right? dun dun dun, dun. It's time to get weird, actually. We're gonna get real weird for this one. Fair warning, before we begin, if you have a very, uh, a tough time, dealing with family aside or where parents murder all of their children <clears throat> you might not want to listen to this episode but before we dive into this insanely tragic story and really really dark case hi my name is harmony and if this is your first time tuning in well let me tell you what to expect here on what the actual left Every week, okay, hold on a second. Usually, every week, I try to come here and tell you some of the darkest things that I can find from all over our world. I know, I know, listen, listeners, I wasn't here last week, but shh, we're gonna let it go. I was sick. I'm so sorry, but I'm good today. Mine is still being sick. I have to go to a doctor, like, really bad. But, um, <laughs> I don't have the time in any of my days. If you're a doctor, um, do you make house calls? Because I could use your services. Anyways, let's continue with the episode. 
As I was saying, usually every week I will come here and tell you some sort of dark tale from all over our world. These tales consist of crimes, disappearances, hauntings, all things paranormal, lore, and of course, conspiracies. Basically, if it's from around our world and it makes you stop and think, what the fuck was that? I'm probably gonna talk about it. At this point, you may be wondering, what do I have for you today? Oh, <laughs> let me tell you. On Tuesday, March 26th in 2018, a German tourist happened to stumble upon a very shocking scene. Located in California on the scenic Highway 1 in Mendocino County, 200 miles north of San Francisco, was something that to this day still rocks our nation. Let me paint a scene for you. This scenic highway located in California is nothing but picturesque beauty. We are talking 100-foot cliffs with beautiful jagged rocks that just, they look like a scene from a movie. But these dramatic cliffs, no matter how beautiful they are, are extremely dangerous. Obviously, there's barriers and there's precautions taken, but if you're not paying attention, if you're intoxicated, or hell, if you're intentionally trying to, you're gonna end up over the edge. So we'd imagine these cliffs and these ocean views are typically taken in by tourists and of course the locals because it is so beautiful. But on this day, the beauty wasn't what made many people stop and look. In fact, instead of the beauty of the cliff bringing on so many onlookers, it was a tragedy that would end up breaking so many hearts around the world. So on this day, a tourist was out checking out the cliffs as I mentioned and happened to notice a very gruesome scene on the rocks below. A GMC Yukon was crashed upside down. Immediately, authorities were alerted. Without wasting any time, rescue workers rappelled down to the rocks below. Inside the SUV, the dead bodies of Jennifer and Sarah Hart, who were a married couple, both 38 years old, were discovered and deceased. Nearby were three of their adopted children, Marcus, who was 19, Jeremiah, who was 14, and Abigail, who was also 14. They were also dead as well. However, the Hearts still had three remaining children. Oh, how does everybody know that while just checking out the scene? Because the Hearts were very well known. I'm getting ahead of myself. So at this point, there are three missing children. Devante, who was 15, Hannah, who was 16, and Sierra, the youngest, who was just 12 years old. However, these three kids were nowhere to be found in the wreckage. At first, friends and acquaintances of the Hart family were absolutely astonished at this death, the multiple deaths of this amazing and incredibly loved family. Jen and Sarah Hart were regarded by all who knew them as caring and extremely devoted parents who had adopted two sets of three black siblings and dedicated their lives to raising the six children in a socially conscious atmosphere. Their main strive was to focus on love and acceptance. After all, we are all one race, the human race. 
This family was so close that their friends often referred to them as the Heart Tribe because of their tight bond. Once authorities began to dig into Jen and Sarah Hart's past, however, things began piecing together a nearly decade-long tale of abuse and neglect that would end tragically right there on that remote stretch of highway more than 500 miles from the Hart homestead in Washington State. Friends, today I have the truly heartbreaking and tragic tale of the Hart family. This is the tale of a shocking conclusion to eight lives. Ladies and gentlemen, this is by far one of the worst cases of family aside I have ever researched. Sit back and let me tell you all about the Hart family. Love you. I think Jen took on more responsibilities than, you know, found herself in over her head probably pretty quickly. Didn't really anticipate what, you know, she signed up for. I love you. With that tear, I don't like to see that. for the missing kids. It was a very confusing scene. Commit allegations of child abuse or neglect. Cell phone pings and surveillance pictures giving us a better idea of what happened to the family. Raise your right hand, please. Do you affirm you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, I do. A complicated legacy that remains a mystery. All we know is that the vehicle ended up at the bottom of a 100-foot cliff, and that's what we're looking for now to see if we could figure out what happened. I are going to go back to the very beginning of this tale, all so we can understand and digest the ending. Jen and Sarah Hart's romance began nearly 20 years earlier at the Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Hey, it's me, the kid from the NSU commercials. Listen, I'd love to show you our beautiful campus, but I can't. This is radio, so all I can do is ask you to trust me. With an amazingly great program, a history of developing leaders, and definitely, best of all, affordable tuition, Northern State is kind of a big deal. But you won't know until you go. Visit www.northern.edu and see what's here in Aberdeen. Be you. Be us. Be Northern. Jen and Sarah were both attending school at the Northern State University when they met and almost instantly fell in love. Now, because this was a different time, 20 years ago, 1998, which meant for many years, Jen and Sarah would tell people that they were just really good friends or they were roommates. Eventually, after time and a few years of being together and hiding their love, they decided to come out as being lesbians. 
Like many people, sadly, when they genuinely reveal who they are inside or the real reality to the relationships they have around them, they lost some friends, they lost some family, they lost people that they thought really cared. There is a direct quote from Jen that she said, quote, the Midwestern mindset was relentlessly unforgiving and unaccepting. Sadly, that's actually the climate for most of our, well, country. However, if you live in the Midwest, you know it's far worse there. Perhaps this was the original seed that planted in Jen and Sarah's heads though and made them feel that they were outsiders for the rest of their lives. It's not easy now growing up different, especially if you are part of the LGBTQ community. But in the 90s and even early 2000s when they did come out and admit their relationship, it was... It was frowned upon, and people, even though they are still today, were very hateful and very disgusting. So maybe, just maybe, this was the first turning point that led to the end of this gruesome story. The couple, however, would move to Alexandria, Minnesota, and both worked at the same department store during this time. Jen was recognized as the dominant person in the two's relationship a woman with a big personality, and she liked to be in control and wasn't afraid to let her voice be heard. Sarah was seen as sensitive and passive, you know, more of the support system. The two were genuinely a very great couple, and although in the beginning it seemed as though they were going to be destined for a beautiful story of a life together, which it seemed as though they were living, nobody could foresee the tragedy that awaited and how many people would die at the end. They were all just a big hug. And every memory I have of them is connected and, and punctuated by the same moment of just a, a flood of them arriving and us all hugging each other in one big ball every time and no pretense no dishonesty just totally present and completely full of like this effervescent intoxicating love that was just undeniable all of us thought Devante was going to be the present you know what I mean Marcus god bless him he I mean Marcus never talked I knew Marcus for four years and he had his head in the books all the time. The most excited I ever saw him was that when that bird landed on the podium at the Bernie Sanders thing. He was like clapping and he was like smiling and that was, that was Marcus. Devante, he reached out, but he was also like the most sensitive of the group. Hello, Nasheen. How are you doing today? <laughs> I missed you. Thanks for that birthday message. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Make some big wraps today for my siblings. <laughs> Now we're going to head on up to 2004. This is when the couple decided to take in a 15-year-old foster daughter, who they began openly complaining about to their co-workers. The girl now, who is in her late 20s, remembers how Jen and Sarah told her of their plans to adopt three more children, and how that meant she could be their big sister. 
But one day, inexplicably, the Hearts dropped their foster daughter off at a therapist's office and never returned for her. The girl never heard from Jen or Sarah ever again. Could this have been the first sign that something with Jen and Sarah maybe was a bit off? To me, it seemed like these children were so joyful and well-adjusted and engaging. I mean, they were all different. And Marcus and Hannah were much quieter. They were much, much more observers and peripheral. And the part of me that prefers the edges related to them in that way. Um, and then um, Devonte and Jeremiah and Sierra were always right up in there, you know, engaging with everybody. Go, Abby, go. <laughs> She's washing her hair, I think. <laughs> Devante was definitely the most outgoing and charismatic. You could tell that within him that he's a very old soul. But as we got to know the rest of the family, I really feel like Jeremiah and Abby would jump out of their shells and they'd just oh, be yeah. these characters. <laughs> I think that because their brother was so outgoing that it helped them to feel more comfortable in their own skin. I first met Jen in 2015. At that time, I was the leader of the game that we were playing, but it ended up being almost an everyday interaction. Jen was more of an inspiration, I think, on multiple levels for a lot of us. Being active politically for the rights of Black Lives Matter, huge. She was a huge persona, actually. I can't even put into words, but she motivated me to actually speak up and use my voice more. She was very honest. She would straight up tell you a lot, like, oh my God, your children are perfect, everything is wonderful. And she's like, no, they're still kids. There's still kids, like there's still stuff that happens that like, you know, you've got to deal with. But yeah, I'm really lucky because these kids are really amazing. And I am very, very blessed to have them in my life. In 2006, the couple would go on to take in three siblings from a foster care in Texas. Marcus, who at the time was seven, Hannah, who was four, and Abigail, who was two. Then, two years later, in 2008, since they enjoyed having these three children in their home, they decided to take in three more siblings from Texas. Devante, who at the time was five, Jeremiah, who was four, and Sierra, who was three. They would become known as the Heart Tribe. This heart tribe looked like the model of a progressive 21st century family. Two white lesbian mothers at the helm as the parents of this diverse family with six adopted black children. I don't care about your political views or how you feel and have opinions about race or who people choose to love and sleep with because quite frankly it has nothing to do with your life. But 
from outsiders and everything when it came to the hearts, this was beautiful. Cultures and people who are constantly shit on and pushed down by society and those with closed minds? Sarah and Jen were genuinely trying to make a difference, it seemed. Empowering the LGBTQ community and helping trying to progress the BLM movement. But again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sarah would work when Jen would stay home to raise the kids. But it didn't take long for warning signs to, of course, start to appear. While still living in Minnesota in September of 2008, their daughter Hannah went to school with a bruise on her arm. When asked by a teacher about not just that bruise, but she noticed a few more. So of course she asked her what was going on. The little girl said that her parents whipped her with a belt. No charges would end up being filed, but the Hearts took all six of their children out of school for nearly a year before re-enrolling them the following fall. Hmm. Again, this may seem like a red flag. And that's because it is. So Sarah was often quieter, kind of like Marcus and Hannah were, and Jen was all, all, always like right there as well, um, right in the middle of things. What? Not a real one, honey. Look at right here. You guys like it here, don't you? Yeah. Jen was, you know, just a very friendly person, good smile, good laugh. Seemed like a reasonable, polite person to me. She seemed frustrated with the problems of the world. Sarah was very quiet, definitely seemed a little more shy. I didn't really, I feel like I only really talked to Sarah once, you know, at a party. I, all the other times with Sarah, I was like, hi, bye, kind of, you know. I started working with Sarah at Kohl's in Beaverton in 2015. She was always back by kids and home. She had a earthy flow vibe to her. Sarah's a mystery to me. She was like this very quiet, very go with the flow, just like soldier, right? Constantly exhausted from working so hard, gets home, calm, even killed. Before I go any further into this case, I need to go ahead and give you not just a trigger warning, but a very real warning. If you cannot hear about abuse against children, please stop this episode. This is your warning. I don't want any one of you jumping into the what the actual F email and attacking me because you stuck around after I warned you. You are a full ass grown adult. You do what you want, but I'm warning you. And that means it's your responsibility. I've done my part. This brings us to November of 2010. Teachers noticed signs of abuse on a six-year-old girl. And who was that six-year-old girl? Abigail Hart. Immediately, the teachers alerted authorities. And this is when Abigail had something to tell investigators. She stated that her mother, Jen, had held her head under cold water and then began punching her because Jen and her other mother believed that Abigail had stolen a penny that they found 
on her. Obviously, this led to authorities interviewing the rest of the children, who all admitted that they were often spanked, denied food, and grounded. When Jen and Sarah were interviewed, Sarah took the blame for striking Abigail. She was convicted of a misdemeanor domestic assault and sentenced to probation and one year of community service. It was at this time that Jen and Sarah decided to pull the kids out of school for good. The six Hart children would now be totally isolated from the outside influences of anyone who could perhaps notice the abuse that they were absolutely being subjected to. There was that moment at Beloved Festival, you see Xavier gestured like, come give me a hug. <laughs> Xavier was hugging Devante and still singing, all of us saw it, he became very overcome with emotion, which would happen a lot. It was a very common occurrence that people would start crying. And he turned and with his sobbing face, he ran straight into Jen's arms. And when I saw that, I just started bawling because what I saw so clearly there was that he loved her and she loved him. What I saw there, and, and again, I'm looking through my confirmation bias, I saw pure love. The hearts decided it was time to pack up and move and take in a change of scenery. They headed out to West Lynn, Oregon. They ended up settling in this suburban part of Portland in 2013. The family rented a house and raised goats and chickens right there in their backyard. As was the case before, Sarah worked and Jen stayed home with their six children. Around this time, the Hearts began attending many, many music festivals as a family unit and became well-known members of the nationwide festival community. These multi-day gatherings focused on togetherness, dance, yoga, and of course, music, all while in a socially conscious atmosphere. The Heart Children were often seen dancing and singing at these events, and attendees looked on with smiles at the large, seemingly enlightened and loving family. Many of us have our very own social media accounts, and we all agree and understand that social media is often just a very fine-tuned and tailored highlight reel of someone's life. The hearts were no different than us. Jen actually cultivated a very carefully and curated social media presence. This presence portrayed her family as a socially conscious and most importantly, happy and healthy family. A tribe, if you will, that wouldn't be broken apart by an uncaring world filled with prejudice. No, that didn't bother the Heart Tribe. They were here to show you that we as humans can be one. Her social media posts were filled with photos and videos of the family on cross-country adventures and at all their various festival activities that they would attend, all as a happy, cohesive 
unit. One person referred to Jen Hart as, quote, the master poster. Her online posts would be filled with her thoughts and feelings about raising such a happy family. And of course, all of the challenges that this modern day society that they were so engulfed in would often make it difficult, but would prove that they would overcome. Or at least it seemed. However, much like in Minnesota, some people saw through the facade and began alerting authorities. One person who notified the Oregon Department of Human Services in 2013 had this to say, quote, the kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family. But after the photo event, they go back to looking lifeless. Others would also note how the children looked as though they were underfed and small for their ages. Another person told authorities that the kids acted like, quote, trained robots, and that they appeared to be, quote, scared to death of Jen. Another friend who was very close with the family and stayed with them in California told investigators that Jen actually ran the family like a boot camp and that their kindness, love, and respect for the kids was largely absent, despite their social media. What you are going to come to learn is though to the world, the hearts looked as though they were making a huge difference, that they could really prove that change in the world was possible. But the reality of the hearts was that their legacy wouldn't be full of happiness. It would be full of heartache. It doesn't get better from here, guys. You are in the streets, blocking the roadway. You are unlawfully assembled. Everybody want me to be calm. Do you know how them bullets hit my son? We are Darren Wilson. You need to disperse immediately or you will be subject to arrest. Do it now. What the world needs now might just be what we see in this photo. After days of disturbing media imagery, that moment in time, the picture that is out floating around on the internet and throughout the world, I think that just captured the moment. So apropos of what not only the community is asking for, what the nation is asking for, but what the world is asking for right now. I saw it online. Like most people did, I remember it's very specifically because Kim Kardashian <laughs> came out with that ridiculous uh, paste article of her butt like popping something up in the air and they were like Kim Kardashian broke the internet and then yeah. it was Devonte Hart <laughs> saved the, the internet, internet in the same day because <laughs> yeah. like it shut down the internet of her butt and then it was Devonte hugging you know someone that brought everyone back up I remember people posting and things just saying resharing and resharing of Oh my God, this child is healing me in a way I didn't ever think that I could feel this type of hope in a picture like this. After they received numerous complaints against the hearts, child welfare authorities paid a visit to the household in August of 2013. Immediately upon arrival, they interviewed the children and the mothers. The responses from the six heart children were nearly identical. They all stressed that there was absolutely no abuse in the home or against them, and that they were all exceptionally grateful for their situation and for the two loving mothers that they had. 
One investigator, however, noticed something a little strange. The children, although speaking of this love and happy home, these children showed no to little emotion and next to zero animation. If you've ever been around children, <laughs> this is almost impossible. Unless something is wrong. Looking back, we wonder, how did nobody catch on? But as always, hindsight is 2020. If you've ever received a hug from Devante, you know, you knew that he meant it. He hugged you with it, the entirety of himself. He wasn't the type of person that's just like one of those little arm pats. It was, he, I remember um, when we first had our exchange of a hug, he said, oh, you're a good hugger. You hug heart, yeah. to, you hug heart to heart. You know that that's what it's about. It's about our hearts. He's like, we have to hold, we have to give a second and you squeeze so people know that you really mean it. And at the time I was like, wow, my mom taught me that. Who taught you that? He's like, my mom. I was like, it's a good mom. He's like, yeah, she's okay. <laughs> it felt like to me like he really did, you know, in his own young way, want to make the world a better place and that, that he was initiating that. That photo going viral is, um, is an example of social media success in some ways, of like a real story, a real human moment um, being captured that's not um, negative and is, is really beautiful. Devante was at that time um, telling us about his birthday coming up and how uh, it, one of his favorite things to do was to raise money for different organizations um, that had to do with the earth and protecting her. And um, yeah, that's when I think I saw the first free hugs sign. He was wearing the free hug sign at that benefit. And we were like, what's up with the hugs? No, it was down at the square. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean, at the square benefit. And then that's when he explained that well, yeah. every year I raise, I try to raise funds for my favorite charity by giving hugs and people, you know, donate to that. I was struck when I went back and looked at how much interesting Facebook posts about her family and how often she was doing that. That would give you a, a lack of privacy, uh, you know, to be putting, posting that much stuff about yourself. I don't think she did it intentionally, but it's definitely cultivating uh, seeds to have a viral video happen for you, or, or you know, a viral photo, but that kind of behavior, putting yourself out there that much. Due to the fact that they were being investigated, Jen argued that many of the issues her family was facing and why people were speaking ill of her were due to them being outsiders, to not understanding their situation and lifestyle. Officials in Oregon couldn't find any concrete evidence of abuse and no signs of any neglect. This meant that all investigations into the Hart family were closed. However, around this same time frame, a very strange development would occur. One of the Hart children became a national sensation. In December of 2014, a photograph of him at a Black Lives Matter protest in Portland went viral. In this photo, Devante was seen in tears while he was embracing a white police officer who was at the protest in order to keep the peace. The photo was shared millions of times as people across the world used it as an example of unity. This all came in the wake of a very racially charged shooting that caused riots in Ferguson, Missouri, and also sparked a national debate on police violence. 
Overnight, though, television shows wanted to have Devante as a guest. Everybody wanted to talk to this very special boy. The boy who gave out free hugs. Jen, however, refused. She would go on to argue that she was here to protect her son's privacy. He was a minor. And at his young age, all that viral success may have been just a little bit too much. Remember, Jen was always conscious of her family's social media presence. And it seemed as though, unlike many people who get a viral hit, those usually stick around and ride the wave. Jen didn't do that. She decided to take a six-month sabbatical from online. Just until the media and everybody and everything died down. I never understood that dichotomy of the, 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 the what she would tell me about how much she didn't want to be in the limelight and then how much the posting and the, those types of things cause them to be in the limelight. I think this is an example of how that extremist and rapid uh, environment of sharing information blows over and doesn't look back to check back in on parts of the story that um, don't maybe necessarily fit a narrative that is that could go viral, that are more complex, more nuanced, and like, that's where our humanity is. The deepest truths about us are not totally black and white. There's a gradient. All the shade exists there, and like that is so important to be able to have a venue for discussing that. And the mainstream media and social media are moving at such a pace that we don't even discuss in a context where our humanity can be understood. This brings us to the spring of 2017. Jen was back on social media. She told all of her followers, quote, This year slammed us hard. Why am I talking like this? Because Jen posted this sentence, if you will, with periods after every word, just for emphasis. At this point, the Fart Hamley, oh my god, did I just say Fart Hamley? I probably should edit this part out, but I kind of want you guys to hear <laughs> at least some of the reality of recording a podcast. I talk about real serious shit, and I can't even get my words right, and I really want to laugh because I said Fart Hamley. <clears throat> I'm gonna edit this laughter out. I'll be right back because this shit is dark. This is a dark matter, Hermione. It's not funny. Okay, okay. I'm good. I'm good. We're cool. We're cool. Back to the seriousness. At this time, the heart family had relocated to rural. Oh, god dang it. That's that fucking word again. I'm no good with this word. Rural, rural. That one uh, in the outskirts of town. How about that? I like that better. They lived in the outskirts of Woodland, Washington. Their next-door neighbors, however, made a few observations about the couple and their kids. Bruce and Dana Kabulb were their neighbors and just were a little bit curious about the way the hearts kind of, I guess, came across. By this time, many people knew exactly who the Hart family was, all because of Devante and his massive presence across social media. Well, Bruce and Dana noticed that these six heart children that were often seen all over the internet were rarely seen in real life. It didn't seem as though they left the house. 
they didn't really see them playing outside. In fact, they didn't even see them much in the house. This was also due to the fact that the family never opened their blinds. It was as though the moment they entered their home, they were shut off and completely away from the world. You know what that sounds like? That kind of sounds like maybe they don't want the reality to see what they're really like. Oh god, we're getting to the parts of these stories that I really don't like. Getting closer to the end. All the, the bad stuff. Not that any of this isn't already bad. I've been doing research in this case almost since it happened. And it has taken me this many years to want to even really talk about it. You guys, this heart family annihilation is a lot. And if you're ready to continue, let's do it. If you thought so far was bad, this is where it really goes down. This is your last warning. I remember Jen telling me she felt like she had PTSD as a result of that photo coming out. Someone taking something so beautiful and running it with it and creating so much hate and diversity. She felt like they would never escape people looking in from the outside and being suspicious and judging them. And honestly, the more people did that, the more they close off. I started to notice like the Sarah that I thought I knew, she started to hide more. She started to, I guess, withdraw herself. I think they probably didn't know how bad the reaction was gonna be. I think they probably just, God, I don't know. After, uh, you know, the picture of Devante went viral and, you know, the moms or Jen perceived herself to be the target of harassment, that's, at least according to one of her friends, that seems to be one of the theories about why she fell into a deep depression. It had to do with that photo going viral and all the, all the perceived harassment. From my observation, from things Jen told me personally and shared privately on Facebook, that the, the response, the public response to the hug photo was the snare that began the unraveling. Imagine it is roughly 1.30 in the morning and you hear something going on in the front of your house, a frantic, small knocking or maybe more of a pounding. It's the middle of the night. What, what is happening? Who could possibly be at your door? Well, in August of 2017 at 1.30 in the morning, Hannah Hart showed up at the DeCobbs door. She was frantic and asking for protection. Bruce and Dana noticed that the young girl was missing her two front teeth as well. She told them that she had jumped from a second story window in her house and ran immediately to them. She also said she wanted her neighbors to hide her and exclaimed, quote, don't make me go back. They're racist and they abuse all of us. Soon after, Jen Hart showed up at the DeCobbs front door and took her daughter back home. 
The next morning, all eight members of the Hart family went to the DeCobbs house and Jen explained to them that the kids were, quote, drug babies. Which is why they would sometimes act out and just be a, a little bit overzealous and make things up or lie. She also went on to say that Hannah's birth mother was bipolar and that her front teeth had been knocked out when she accidentally fell. Yeah, her front teeth that she was missing were her adult permanent ones. That's why it's so alarming. When Dana asked to speak to Hannah alone, Jen was like, uh-uh. She said, quote, we do everything as a family. That means you're not fucking talking to my child without me. You got it? Hannah then handed the DeCobbs a handwritten note apologizing for her actions the previous night. And it stated that she was lying and she was just trying to get attention. Dana told her father about this bizarre encounter with the Hearts, and he reported Jen and Sarah Hart to the authorities, all because of this. However, no follow-up action was ever taken. Sadly, when we look back at the situation, it's really frustrating to know the authorities didn't really do anything. But in the midst of it, maybe you would have sided with the Hearts, or maybe you would have sided with Hannah and the DeCobbs. Like, maybe they should have actually had someone just, you know, pushed and been like, please go check this out. The fact remains, when this stuff is going down, it's, it's like tiptoeing through eggshells. You don't know what the right move is. And most of all, you don't know the persons and people involved's next move. So when nobody makes a move, <laughs> and then all of a sudden a leap happens, the whole world is shocked. And the whole world was about to be not just shocked, but heartbroken. Pardon, pardon the pun. They moved in, I wanna say May 17th, 2017. I knew the house had sold and I had looked up that it had closed and they moved in shortly thereafter. We've had kids live next door before. You hear them, you see them, they speak to you, you know, and so it, this was completely abnormal and it, to have six kids that we never saw, heard, or spoke to. Sarah didn't really tell us much about her family. I don't know of anyone that worked with us that knew more than she's married to Jen and she has six kids. I mean, she didn't really tell much about her family. To me, that was a little weird because I brag about my son 24-7, you know? And besides knowing that she has six kids, we didn't really know much about her. One of the impressions I got when you sent me the photos, uh, you know, of, their fa of the Facebook feeds of Jen and Sarah is like how perfect they are, right? And the word perfectly curated comes up a lot. Um, and you know, what that implies is, curation implies an active image manipulation, essentially. So there were, uh, you know, they lived the kinds of lives that they can project this perfect image of themselves because most of their quote-unquote friends were either through Facebook or there were kind of these temporary uh, encounters at festivals where they could, uh, on a temporary basis, project everything positive they wanted to project about them. The pictures of them playing in the snow. Those kids were not outside playing in the snow, but yet there's this picture of them, you know, and it's so perfectly propped with Devante and I think it was Jeremiah, and they're sitting out in the snow and they have a mug in their hand and they're probably, you know, drinking hot chocolate or where they're on the side of a lake and they are turning around and blowing kisses to mom. 
now several months after this first occurrence with Hannah. Bruce is out front of his house working on his truck when suddenly a 15-year-old Devante walks up to him. This isn't just a normal, friendly neighbor stop and, hey, how you doing? You having a good day? Fantastic. Is my ball over here? No. Devante asks Bruce, could he please have something to eat? And also, for him to please not tell either of his mothers. Of course, Bruce gave the young boy some food. But this wasn't going to be a one-time thing. This began happening more and more. And eventually, Devante gave his neighbor a list of food and asked him to please put the items in a box by a fence where his parents would not be able to find it. After several more visits from Devante, the Decobs decided it was time to probably alert the authorities once again. And on March 23, 2018, Dana called the Child Protective Services. This would lead to a CPS worker stopping by the Hart house. However, when they knocked on the door and nobody answered, they decided to leave a card and just head on out. This is simple and normal protocol. If somebody from DCF or CPS or hell, the FBI stops by your house, they're gonna leave a card. But then the following day arrives. It is now Saturday, March 24th, and the DeCobbs notice something absolutely unusual. The Hearts GMC Yukon, which is usually parked just out front, was gone. Okay, yeah, many people will say, oh, so my neighbors aren't always home, what's so strange about that? You guys, despite their social media post, they were shut-ins. Everything you saw online was planned and perfectly meticulously done. So this was quite unusual. But if that doesn't get your panties in a twist and make you go, oh no, what's gonna happen? This will. Another odd thing about this Saturday was at three o'clock in the morning that day, a coworker of Sarah received a text from her. This text stated that Sarah was sick and would not be able to come into work. Hmm, that's strange. That's weird. Nobody knew it then, but the Hearts, perhaps fearing the authorities would uncover the abuse and neglect that was in fact happening, decided to once again pack up their things, leave their home as they had before in Minnesota and Oregon. And as the eight members of the Hart family drove south along Highway 1, there would be no stopping to take group photos or make lengthy Facebook posts about the many joys of their family life. Instead, it seemed as though maybe the family was looking for a new town, maybe a new home, someplace they could settle in, you know, a change of scene. And the hearts were headed for a change of scene, a scene of sinister destruction. It's highly controlling to an unusual degree to withhold food from your children on a regular basis to sculpt their behaviors. This is very different than, you know, where the wild things are where Max doesn't get a supper because he was being, causing a ruckus, you know, where you don't give a kid dinner for a few hours. But to actually withhold food to the point where they seem like they would meet medical definitions of being malnourished, that's obviously very extreme. So the next morning he came over at like at nine in the morning and he said, have you been to the store yet? And I said, you know, I said, no, you know, not yet. And, and um, he goes, I need you to go right away. And um, I said, okay. And I told him I was calling CPS, which as soon as he left, I called him. 
I didn't see any obvious signs, and you know, I, I, I guess you know, yeah, I, I didn't know what the I don't know what to look for. You know, I, I know like what signs to look for if your kid gets abused, your own kid, how their behavior changes, but you know, I, I don't really know how to see that in others. He did actually use the word abuse, and then he told, then he told me, um, uh, sorry, this makes me cry. He said on Thursday night that everything Hannah had told us was true. It just broke my heart. So, you know, because Hannah had told us they were abusing her and whipping her with a belt and when he told me that, I was just like, oh my God. As for the very last sighting of any of the members of the Hart family, that would be at a Safeway grocery store in Fort Bragg, California. On the morning of Sunday, March 25th, a surveillance camera captured Jen Hart buying about $20 worth of groceries. Or in 2022, a Fig Newton. Inflation, am I right? Okay, sorry, back to the serious matter at hand. Then, that following day, that Monday, March 26th, would be the day that the German tourist saw their Yukon belly up at the bottom of the cliff. This spot on Highway 1 was only about 25 minutes from the Safeway that Jen had last been seen. As investigators began to look at the scene and investigate into the hearts, the details of the truly gruesome nature behind this family would finally come to light. In the early morning hours, I believe is just prior to 3 a.m., Sarah began texting three of her co-workers. One of those texts to the friends was, hey, I need you to open the store, I'm sick. Some of the others were indicating that she needed to go to the hospital. Jen was, you know, gaming at least an hour or two a day, average. So when she didn't respond to us within a 24-hour period, you know, we got worried. But then she said that she had a family emergency and asked one of us to take over. And then her actual last three letters she typed were FML. FML means fuck my life. She disappeared. The last thing that she wrote to me was, I'm trying so hard to take my own advice today, trying to look into the eyes of my wife and children and tell them I'm never going to give up on them. I'm trying to remind myself of all the good in the world, trying to believe that everything I've fought for my entire life didn't just get buried in a pile of hate-filled ignorance. Trying to allow myself to feel all the fucked up feelings that are circling through my weary body because it's okay to feel rage, disgust, and deep sadness. And it's okay to be fueled by a vast array of emotions and not just love. And now I need to breathe and figure out how to act, and that's the hard part.
The scene and the GMC Yukon's computer and the airbag controllers were analyzed for all of their information, and their story that they told was quite disturbing. Jen Hart was the one at the wheel of the Yukon. In control, as always, she pulled off of the highway onto a gravel turnout and stopped the vehicle 70 feet from the cliff. She then accelerated the car roughly up to 90 miles per hour and, without touching the brakes, which investigators found no skid marks as well, plunged the car off of the 100-foot cliff onto the rocks below, ultimately killing her and her entire family. Neighbors last reported seeing the hearts at their home on Friday, March 23rd. So exhibit 10 is the actual GPS points that we were able to download and put into Google Earth Pro software. And what this is is an overview from the hearts home in Woodland, Washington, all the way down to Fort Bragg. Once they left their house, every place that we were able to track them to, they always use cash. The first digital evidence that we came across that they were using was the Safeway Club card. March 26th, um, I actually heard the call come out over the radio, um, but at that time we thought it was a fatal collision scene. The cause of the crash remains a mystery right now. Investigators have said the weather was clear at the time. Authorities say Jennifer and Sarah Hart, along with their six children, died when it plunged off a cliff along Northern California's Pacific Coast Highway. You have the vehicle going from 34% throttle to 100% throttle, and there's no subsequent application of the brake. Once we get to Sarah's phone, one of the last searches that she did was while they're traveling through Oregon, is death by drowning relatively painless? How long does it take to die from hypothermia in water while drowning in a car? What will happen when overdosing with Benadryl? Some of the witnesses stated that they would typically give the children Benadryl on long drives, that they know the effects of Benadryl and what it does to the children. They exceeded the normal therapeutic dosages. The children were more than likely um, unconscious or asleep at that point. The death certificates for Jennifer and Sarah Hart will be listed as suicide. And the six children who perished on that day, their death, certainly as a jury rule, was determined to be at the hands of another, other by accident. And their death certificates will list homicide as the manner of death. I know a lot of us grew up with the whole safety first, wear a seatbelt, but nobody in this car was wearing theirs. It was later determined as well that Jen had had alcohol in her system, and this was far above the legal limit. The investigation would also discover that Sarah and two of the children had taken antihistamines, and this, in case you didn't know, causes you to become extremely drowsy. Then, on April 8th, nearly two weeks after the crash, 12-year-old Sierra's body was finally recovered. Hannah's remains were positively identified in January of 2019. Devante Hart's body has never been found. Authorities do believe that Devante actually perished in the crash, 
and quite possibly because they did land into the ocean and the water below, as this was a cliff with jagged rocks and waves would crash up, that it was possible his body had been pulled out to sea. We may never actually know what happened to Devante. We just know he has never been seen or heard from again, and is sadly presumed to be dead, much like the rest of the Hart family. Within an hour of finding out, I was sitting at my desk and I was just sobbing. I couldn't even wrap my head around it. Uh, I didn't know any of the details yet. I just, all I knew was that the hearts, the entire heart tribe was gone. But at the same time, this just like piercing grief of like thinking about all of those children. When the news broke, I got told me it was them. I just knew it was them. But then the next morning, um, Tuesday morning, like at seven in the morning, our phone rings and a reporter had called and said, your neighbors have been identified as being the people in the crash, which we didn't answer the phone. We just, he left us a message and wanted us to call back. And I was like, wow. I don't know what happened. Um, the evidence overwhelmingly suggests that that last moment was intentional, um, which is given the uh, undeniable and overwhelming beauty of that family of children, that decision is um, impossible. I just love them still, you know? If I... I just want, I, I know it sounds really weird and fucked up to say, but like, I would be like, I have your back, you know? And I know that that's the part that nobody wants to hear, but it's like, I just feel like I can feel their pain that they were in. And I feel so sad that somewhere along the line, someone missed something or we just let them down. And so I would just let them know like, yeah, I have their back and I, and if, if they were here, I would listen to their story, and if we could do it all over again, I just would have helped them. I unfortunately think something horrible happened to him first, and that's why they left. I don't know what the internal turmoil was and desperation in different ways, and um, I don't know. I guess things can get hard and desperate, and people make people make extreme rash decisions and I don't I do not understand it there's no understanding it I don't I know all of you most likely have some sort of questions running through your mind right now if you're still here and you heard all of this there is no reason you wouldn't and just like you to this day, so do all of us and all of the investigators that worked vigorously on this case. What caused this horrific crash? Wait, you know what? Let me reword that. What caused Jen to do this? We know that Jen did this on purpose. It was deliberate. But why? Why would Jen Hart kill herself and her family? What was it spontaneous? Or had it all been planned when they drove away from their home in Woodlawn? Did she know exactly what she was doing 
when she got them in their car and headed out. Was something already happening? Was Devante hurt? Was Hannah hurt? Was Abigail hurt? Was Sarah hurt? After all, Jen is the only one seen on surveillance. Once the Hearts left their home, she is the only one who was ever seen again, and only for a short while after. That may leave many of you just like investigators wondering about Sarah. Was Sarah Hart a willing conspirator in this crash? Or did she, just like their kids, not realize what her ultimate fate would be? She did have antihistamine in her system just like their children. We can all agree that Jen was absolutely the dominant figure in their relationship. So we can assume that either she was drugged and had no idea about what was about to occur. Or the darker side? Maybe Sarah knew and just accepted her fate and went along with this gruesome plan. We will never know the answers to these questions, most likely, because on that day in 2018, the bottom of that cliff, all of these answers washed away as that Yukon lay there. Before we head out to our outro segment, I just want to give my, my love to all of those that knew the hearts and cared for them. My condolences are with you. There are a lot of things about Jen that have just been said and the allegations and everything. It's just, there's no doubt in my mind that something was going on with those children. And I think that's why it's been very tough for me to do this episode and to actually release all the things and repeat all of the research that I have learned. I tell you guys all the time that I'm never okay with the things that I share with you. But it is our reality, and you know, I'm the messenger. We can't always focus on the fantastic without knowing that there is bad. Because you can't fix the bad without addressing it. The hearts may have come off as a beautiful, loving family, and I'm not saying that part of them weren't. There's no denying that those children loved with all of their being. And despite what Jen put out there, it didn't seem as though she did, but we'll never really know. And that, my friends, is the tale of the Hart family annihilation. One of our friends said, forgive me for not assuming my friends were murderers. You know, again, everyone being so angry at us for speaking up. I want to say, like, Imagine, try to put yourself where we are. Ideologues scare me, you know. Ideologues scare me because in the pursuit of that perfect, pure vision, they can be so extreme that they ignore all sense, all common sense and precaution. People would attack, um, and at one point I even told them, you know, it's easy for you people to sit here and, and accuse me of, or say that, you know, I should have, um, but until you've walked in my shoes, until you know who I am, you can't really, it's not fair to say. There's not evidence that they're racist, and I don't see why, um, with a number of stories, why they would, you know, make that up. Um, they might not have interpreted everything that happened, exactly what was going on, but they're certainly not just <laughs> fantasizing about that. I think there was a huge tragedy. I think, I think all these, in the very beginning, there was a huge anger that I did feel, though, with the social media, was there was a lot of Black Lives Matter pages 
uh, taking arms and being like, told you so, these white crackers should never adopt us. And I was like, hold on, you know what I mean? Like you can think whatever you want, but to exploit the tragedy of these children, to try and further your agenda on this just really just frankly disgusting platform, which is Instagram, you know what I mean? Or Twitter. I just felt like it was, you know, hashtag too soon social media and just really just callous and, 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 and just such propaganda. They were put under a microscope in a way that I don't think anyone deserves to be put under. Yeah. I imagine that Chen must have got to the point where she just degenerated to, like a, I guess, some kind of insanity. Um, and, you know, exactly how and when that happened and to what, well, I don't know, but I can't imagine, like, getting to the point where, I mean, if, if you want to kill yourself, that's one thing, but I don't see why you would need to take anyone else with you. This road trip down to California was quite um, impulsive and unplanned and might be interpreted as kind of running away from the Child Protective Services who were kind of wrapping up their investigation. So this might be a woman who feels like, you know what, I'm about to be found out by the world. Like, you know, I've had this perfectly curated image. I spent so much of my time blogging about and posting pictures about and presenting this, uh, this uh, particular image to the world. And now that's in danger of crumbling. Uh, so I could, I'm not saying that's what happened, but that is a, that's a very plausible story to me. That someone's feeling like a bit desperate, their mask is going to be ripped off, and they'd rather die, frankly, than to be revealed in front of everyone about what they are. I am going to try to end this episode in a little bit of a better light. Um, <laughs> I love you. You look great today. How do I know? Because I'm right next to you. Wait, no, I'm behind you. Wait, okay, where can you not see right now? Because that's where I am. No, but uh, for real, friends, I, I love you guys. And thank you for coming here every week and just hearing all of these gruesome, dark stories I have for you. I know having a bond with other people that, you know, you and I don't know one another. But it's apparent if you're here, you enjoy something that I do. The dark parts of the world. The reality behind the mask that all of us portray. And for someone who has been, well, treated quite odd my whole life for being into this, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate knowing that there are so many of you that enjoy what I tell you. Even if the topics are not quite enjoyable in the sense that the average everyday person would believe. The stories I tell you guys are heartbreaking, they're tragic, they're of loss, they're of pain, they're scary sometimes, and other times they make you question your reality. Which I always will say, never stop questioning this world. Never stop questioning your reality. Always be curious and always want to learn. And always be prepared to ask yourself, what's the actual F was that? Okay, guys, I love you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day. And again, I'm so sorry I did not release an episode last week. I plan on getting my butt to the doctor again really soon. I also hope that Florida will make up its mind on its weather so my allergies and all everything else that I react to outside will just calm the hell down so I can figure out what is part of a cold or possibly a prolonged sickness and not just allergies. Because I know I don't have COVID. But I got some crud and it's not fun. I will do my best to be here next week and every week following. 
But just like you, I have a life and sometimes that life kind of falls down and I gotta pick it back up. Whether that be because I am under the weather, my mental health is struggling, or something is going on in my personal well-being and with my loved ones. But when I can, I will be here. And until next time, I look forward to talking with you again. Please stay safe because I don't ever want to tell a tale about you. Unless, of course, it's you sending me an email, which you can do at whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. I look forward to your messages every single week. All right, guys. Well, <laughs> I guess you'd say this episode is a wrap. Love you later. Bye. Okay, uh, um, can you hit stop? Because, like, I can't hold this any longer. Bye. I'm running out of